Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the E! podcast presented by BetMGM. I'm Jacob Stoller from the Hockey News alongside Justin Cohn from the Fort Wayne Journal-Gazette. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well. And I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about other sports on this program, but part of the no, reason... We'll just I'm... bleep out every time you mention it. Don't worry about it, but go ahead. Okay, that's that's awesome because I just need to get it off my chest. Do it, man. So I'm a Detroit guy. Mm-hmm. Therefore, a Detroit Lions fan. And less than 36 hours from recording this, the Lions are going to be on national television kicking off the NFL season. And that's just, it's really, it's sort of awesome and sort of sad that this is what qualifies as like sort of a Super Bowl experience for a Lions fan. But we never get the, you know, the football schedule to ourselves and to have the season opening game. And I think I can say this, you know, our producer just messaged us that uh, they're going to get their backsides handed to them by uh, the Chiefs. And that's probably true, but it's going to be an awesome 15 minutes when they kick off that game. Just wanted to get that out there. Happy you get that off your chest. I'm a Vikings fan, so, uh, ooh, tough, hey? Born into it. Um, But let's get into, we actually will talk on something semi-football related later too, which is kind of ironic. Um but we'll get to that in a bit. I want to talk about something that I, I noticed, and you brought it up to me too, Justin, but um, the schedules being released in the ECHL are coming out. and There's preseason games. And it's funny because as someone that follows the AHL quite closely, uh, more than the ECHL, there aren't many AHL preseason games. There's maybe one series or one tune-up game. Some teams have zero, actually. And it's interesting to the ECHL that there is preseason games. So I guess my question for you is what's the significance behind these games and and how many does each team play? Well, it it varies from team to team. It's, it's sort of dealer's choice, what you want to do. And in my experience, most teams choose to play two. Uh, I've seen them play one. I've seen them play three Uh, this year. Fort Wayne's playing two. And interestingly enough, they're both in Fort Wayne against Iowa. I believe it is. Um, so, you know, as, as a reporter, I'll be forthright in saying I loathe them. I I really don't enjoy covering them, uh, especially that first one, because it's usually 90% of those guys are probably not going to make the team. And it's like, sort of, do I trumpet guys who may not be here in 48 hours and it can be an awkward experience, but, um, yeah, they, they definitely have them. (laughs) So I guess the question is who are the people playing is it sbhl is it basically an amalgamation of sbhl shortlists or who who is making up the roster well at this level there are so many different philosophies as you go into training camp you know a lot of teams will just have 21 22 guys and and kind of had a good gauge on their roster and then other teams they'll go in with 35 guys and they know they're going to have to trim you know 14 of them 
And then that's not even necessarily accounting for the guys that are coming back from the AHL and they're going to be assigned. So what I'm getting at here is an ECHL preseason can be kind of a strange animal. And you're doing all this over two weeks, less than two weeks from the start of camp to, yeah. uh, you know, to choosing your roster. So to answer your question, who, who's in these games? Um, you know, usually it's your bubble guys. A lot of those SPHL guys who are trying to make the team, guys who are just on tryouts. You know, the big thing is, is rookies. You just kind of never know until you see them on the ice. Um, I, I found a lot of teams, they, they really want to take a good look at the, the defensemen, the, the really big size guys. Can they skate fast enough? Uh, you know, are they going to be speedy enough for ECHL hockey? Uh, you usually want to take a good look at, you know, maybe your second or third goalie, make sure he's the real deal. So there's definitely a lot that you're looking at. I think there is a lot of importance. If I were a coach, 100%, I would want preseason games. I'd Give me three of them because I want to see these guys in game situations. I want to see them. Are they going to hit? Are they going to do whatever it takes to make this team? Uh, but from a media perspective, from a fan perspective, uh, I'm not sure they're quite as interesting. And then from a business perspective, that's a whole other can of worms. Yeah. Be- because uh, in my experience, I think most teams, like the the front office types, the non-hockey people, given their druthers, they'd probably rather not have the games yeah. because oftentimes the um, the income is not going to – you're not going to break even on them. You know, For there's, sure. there's, you still got to have your game ops staff. And here's one other kind of interesting thing. Um you know, sometimes fans will complain when they go to a preseason game because they're not getting the full show that they would at a regular, at like a regular game presentation season game. wise. Yes, the, the, the presentation. They're not going to be doing a lot on the scoreboard. You're not going to have intermission contests. So, mm. Or if you do, they're going to be very drummed down. Right. And I, I've actually heard multiple people say to me that that's because they don't want to basically spoil the surprises. You know, they don't want to. You know, it's it's kind of like a preview for a movie that, but you don't really want to see the preview yet. You just right. want you want to see it when it comes out. And so I've I've definitely heard some front office types, you know, kind of roll their eyes like a uh, preseason, not not my favorite thing. So I don't know if that answers all the, the no, issues. It, it, I mean, what I was thinking though would be it'd be kind of cool if you had. Like I love hard knocks, but I don't like hard knocks now because they have the Jets and it's all about Aaron Rodgers. Hard knocks. What was good about it? was that it wasn't about the stars. There was a bit of a feature. You got to see some glimpse, but you got to see these journeymen fighting so hard for their goal. And I think it'd be cool if you had an equivalent for the ECHL at this point. Granted, some of these guys, it's almost impossible for them to make the team, but those type of stories are interesting. And it may, and you reminded me of this, you know, the Brampton Beast, they used to hold open tryouts to, to make their team. Um, do other teams do that? Like, is there is there that component at all? And, and do you think, so the second part is, do you think that they should do that? So some teams do still do it. Uh, the Iowa Heartlanders had one in 2022. And you pay to do it, correctly. right? Yes. And so it's when you bring ground. up open tryouts, yes, yeah. you're right in my wheelhouse as somebody who has covered other sports where they are more common. Uh, basketball. G League teams, they always have open tryouts. I used to cover indoor football, uh, things like that. So in the ECHL, some teams do it. I know Wheeling did it years back. 
Toledo did one, I believe it was in 2018. I'm not sure if they still do it. Um, so when you're behind the curtain a little bit, not to spoil the excitement for anybody who's ever going to want to do these, in my experience, uh, most teams already know who's, who's going to their camp. And maybe they'll guarantee a spot or two to somebody at an open tryout. Um, but oftentimes they know who that person is. You know, they, they, it's just, Hey, uh, John Doe, come out to this free agent camp, pay your $250. Uh, but we like you. We're probably going to give you a spot at, at the regular camp, but we want to see you here. And that's fine for him. But all these other people, they also paid their $250. So you're right. It, it's a cash grab. And this is something I've seen more and more and more over the last 20 years in sports journalism is, is sports teams taking advantage of that opportunity to make it a cash grab. And I'm not saying the ECHL teams are, are doing that to a great extent, but you do have to keep that in mind. You know, do you have a legitimate shot of making the team? Yeah. Now they call it free agent camps. I know Toledo's was multiple days. It might've even been a week. I think Iowa's was just a day or two last year. I think they can be valuable, though. I mean, if if you got the money and you're willing to pay, you never know. You never know what you're going to find out there. Some guy that's been sitting around and, you know, he played a little bit in the pros, you know, you just never know. And I'll tell you one thing that's really good for, in my opinion anyway, is finding e-bugs, finding emergency backup goalies. Because teams at this level, they always need a goalie in town. And if you can find a reliable one, maybe through an open tryout, I mean, I think that does does help you. But yeah, teams are still doing it a little bit. Um, let's move on to some under-the-radar signings that you like, starting with Idaho re-signing defenseman Cody Heiskanen. Yeah, so I, I, you know, we talked a couple weeks back about sort of the winners and losers of, of the offseason so far, and I started thinking about what are the signings that people aren't really talking about enough that I've really liked? And Cody Heiskanen is, is near the top of the list. I mean, for the longtime listeners, he's a guy that I really liked last season for Idaho. But if you know anything about what Idaho did last year, uh, you know, they were incredible defensively, but they were very deep on the blue line. Owen Hedrick was obviously incredible. Matt Register. Uh, they had a, a, a litany of guys, and Cody Heiskanen was a guy that I really liked what he was doing late in the season. And I think I made the remark probably during the first round of the playoffs that if this guy is your number four or five defenseman, when he would be one or two on almost any other team, then you're doing really well for yourself. So we know they lost Owen Hedrick to the AHL, so I think locking down Heiskanen was a really good move for them. This is his second pro season. He had 29 points in 61 games last year added another two points in 19 playoff games. Uh, he and Matt Register shared the plus uh, the plus minus award in the ECHL. He was plus 53, which is pretty strong. Uh, and he, uh, you know, he's, he's from down the street, Fargo, North Dakota. So lots to like about uh, Heisken and re-signing in uh, Idaho. Another re-signing, the Indy Fuel have brought back Luke Brown. Uh Indy made a quantum leap last year in, uh, under Duncan Dalmo. Uh, they were vastly improved in a division that they had really been uh, an afterthought to teams like Fort Wayne and Toledo mm -hmm. and, and Cincinnati. Luke Brown was a key to that. Uh, he had 12 goals, 33 points in 46 games after he was acquired in a three-team trade. I liked what I saw from him late in the season. So I think it's 
key for the fuel to try and lock down as much of that nucleus from last season as they can. Luke Brown looked good late in the season, so I, so I thought that was a nice signing by them. And then Jacksonville, they brought back Garrett Cockrell, and they brought also his brother Logan, uh, played overseas last year, brought those two brothers together, and then they also signed Jack Van Bokel. Yeah, so I, I'm kind of a sucker for when teams sign siblings. Um, Who is it? I think... Well, I think it really works out well at this level because for sure, part of the the issue that teams tend to have is building chemistry amid all of the call ups and injuries and whatnot that you deal with. And when you have siblings Mm -hmm. who have been skating together forever, um, there's sort of that synergy built in. Regardless of what position, you know you can throw those guys out there and they'll know each other's tendencies. Fort Wayne had Connor and Kellen Jones a couple of years ago, and it was great. And even if Kellen was playing defense and Connor was playing forward, which happens sometimes, they knew where each other were on the ice. So whenever I see brothers on the same team, my you know the light bulbs kind of kind of go off for me. Uh, Garrett Cockrell, the defenseman, he has experience with Jacksonville, which I perceive as one of the great up and coming teams in the league. He's played there the last three seasons, so they know him. They know what he's all about. As you mentioned, Logan was in Sweden last year, but he's a big-time player. Prior to that, he was at Boston University. He was the captain of the Terriers for two seasons. He won a gold medal at the U18 World Championships with USA. I mean, he's got a great resume. So brother or not, picking him up was going to be a nice pickup for them. And Jack Van Bokel, that's a player that I really like. Um, he was with Wheeling last year. Uh, let's see, had 92 penalty minutes in 30 games. He will be a reliable player, but also a physical player. As we've talked about before, Jacksonville seems to be loading up with physical players, as many teams in the South Division are, and I think he really fits that identity. So I like bringing him in there. Orlando made an interesting signing. That's Ryan Cox. He ended last year with Toledo. 11 points in 12 games after finishing at Niagara University. And now he's Orlando bound. Yeah, Ryan Cox is one of those guys that, you know, when these rookies come to the ECHL, it seems there's no in-between. You're either blazing right out of the box, you're impressing people, or it's a long grind for you to acclimate to the pro game. Ryan Cox, day one, looked phenomenal. Uh, had five goals and 11 points in 12 games with Toledo. Now, obviously, that was a very strong team. He had help, but he started his pro career with a five-game point streak, and that included three multi-point games. So very productive for the player out of Niagara. Uh, Before that, he played in the Alberta Junior Hockey League. I like his resume. So as he goes to Orlando, You know, I could see him being a player who puts up some points and that's a team that needs to kind of replace some some guys that they left. They could use the offensive uh, burst and from a rookie, all the better for them. Allen's bringing back Eric Williams. He's sort of been a tweener uh, the last two years between the AHL and ECHL, and he's heading back to Allen to start next season. Yeah, I mean, look, Allen, they they sometimes need the defensive help. So uh, I like that they're bringing a guy in that's got a decent amount of AHL experience. He's shown an ability at the ECHL level to score. He's done it with Norfolk. He's done it with Utah. Uh, You can delve into the plus minus ratings and say, well, is he 
great defensively. Well, those were not necessarily the best teams, especially Norfolk. So I'm not going to knock him too much for that. Uh, I think it's a nice pickup for a team that, you know, is going to have great offense, but they need to make sure that their blue line is taken care of. Another signing, uh, Nick Perkusik signs in Greenville. Interesting resume as a signing, I would say. Yeah, very interesting. So he was a great player at Robert Morris from 2017 to 2021. He captained them, but he actually hasn't been playing the last yeah. couple of years. He was coaching the Brooks Bandits. That's a team I'm familiar with because Anthony Petrozelli played for them. Uh, then he was also coaching a prep team. So I like the signing, assuming he's still got the goods on the ice, but I would imagine that they've done their due diligence here. But sometimes, you know, you grab a guy who has been sitting up in the stands, who was injured, who was coaching. It gives them a totally different perspective, yeah. makes them a more intelligent player. And so I, I don't know. I, I, something about this just made me feel like I kind of like that sign. Well, I remember we talked about someone, was it the deadline or like the sign deadline that was hadn't played in a while, was coaching, that was coming back or something. And I remember thinking, when that happens, like, are these guys, how often are they skating? How often are they playing and, you know, better yet, like, are they in shape? Like, they have to be, I think. You're probably out. talking about, I think it was Nick Tuzolino. Yes, yes, exactly. Yes. He was, yes. But yeah, in I, general, like, are these guys skating? It's a great question. You know, I, I think if you're coaching, then you're skating, you know. But no, I but mean, I'm talking about, like, skating, like. Yeah, no, I know. I, I mean, I just, it's I think hot. everybody's different. But sure. I've definitely covered guys who have come out of retirement or you know they're coming off an injury or they've been sitting on the shelf because they're playing in Europe or whatever yeah and there's definitely time it takes I mean that that's long and short of it I'm not going to say he's he's you know in, in game shape day one but I feel like if you're coaching if you're around a team you are probably keeping yourself in generally good shape especially if you're at his age right out of college you know Nick Tuzolino He's mid thirties, I think. You know that maybe is a different case, but you know, I, I guess you just gotta pr you know, trust the process, trust the due diligence of these teams to know. But hey, you know, we're also in the off season. Guy comes in, shows up at camp, overweight. You know, nothing lost. I, I can't imagine they're they're guaranteeing Nick Perkusic a a top line position at this point <laughs> for sure. Uh, moving on to the next couple, Iowa signs Liam Coglin, fifth round pick of the Oilers in twenty fourteen, is uh, heading to Iowa. Yeah, Liam Coughlin is a player that should be familiar with this division. He played in Indy. Uh, he's got a really nice resume, played at, at Vermont. Vermont has produced a bevy of solid ECHL players. Uh, he had most recently been with the Worcester Railers. Something that I like is he brings leadership. He brings AHL experience to a team in Iowa that's just entering its third season, still trying to solidify things. Uh, they haven't made the playoffs yet. These are the types of players that you need to bring in. Savvy guys, understand the situation, and bring some leadership to the locker room. Adirondack signs Matt Steef. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, Adirondack, I think they're poised to, to you know improve their production this year. Bringing a good offensive defenseman like this, I think, bodes well. He has 44 points in 120 games with Idaho and Adirondack. Uh, I think Adirondack would do well if they can produce a little more offense from the blue line, and it seems like that's a player that will help them. And Fort Wayne signs Nolan Vulcan, a top-tier player at the University of Alberta last year at the U Sports level. 
Yeah, so I bring him up because this was a guy that a lot of teams were after, and Fort Wayne is so far building itself with a, a lot of rookies and unfamiliar players, and this is one of the biggest ones they signed. Uh, so at Alberta, he had 10 goals and 25 points in 28 games last season. Before that, he played in the Western League for Seattle from 2013 to 2019. Put in perspective, one one of those seasons, he had 32 goals and 76 points in 70 games. He's still only 25. This just has all the hallmarks of a guy who comes to the ECHL with major junior experience, with college experience, and can just light it up at this level. And certainly that's what they're banking on. But a lot of teams were after this guy, and that Fort Wayne got him was a pretty big get. Two more here. Utah signs Keone Texera. Speaking of the Indy Fuel, he is a former Fuel player. He was their captain the last two years. Uh, he does a lot of nice things at both ends of the ice. Uh, he had 110 points. That includes 21 goals in 223 games with Indy. So a half a point per game as a defenseman, not bad at this level. He also ranks second in Fuel history in games played and assists. Utah, that's a team that's in a difficult division. They obviously gave Idaho some fits in the first round of the playoffs, bringing in a guy like this who's going to bring some scoring, who's going to bring some physicality, uh, I really think fits the mold of what they're trying to do in Utah. And last, but not, but most certainly not least in the eyes of Justin Cohn, Oren Sintazo signs with Toledo, one of your favorite players from last year. Yeah, I, maybe this one isn't under the radar, but it certainly came later in the summer than we would, would have thought for a player of this caliber. Uh, spent the last two years with Newfoundland, 97 points in 97 games that include 49 goals. Um, he had 46 points in 39 games with the Growlers last year. Uh, also had an assist in 15 games with the Marlies and the AHL. Uh, looked terrific in the playoffs while, when they had some injuries. He really had to step up. I mean, Toledo, they've got a new coach there. Uh, they really um, you know, needed to bring in a top-tier offensive player to take the pressure off guys like Brandon Hawkins and whatnot. I just love this signing. It's a huge get for them, and I really think they're going to remain the favorite in the division. All right, that's it for under-the-radar signings. Obviously, more could uh, trickle in uh, as the season ramps up. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. But let's move over to some affiliation news. Norfolk is now the ECHL affiliate for both Winnipeg and Carolina. And so for Winnipeg, since parting ways with Jacksonville two years ago, they loaned players all over, but mainly Newfoundland and Trois-Rivier. Carolina, um, who does not have a sole AHL affiliate, has been affiliated with Norfolk since the 2021-22 season. Yeah, this is a, a kind of weird situation, right? I mean, you may even know a little bit more about it than me uh, in terms of what's going on at the AHL level. Um, you know, my first response when I saw this was, you know, hey, good for Norfolk that they're, you know, getting with a new team in Winnipeg because they haven't had a ton of success with uh, Carolina, no matter how you cut it. Mm -hmm. So I liked that they were aligning with a new team geography aside from that. But now 
they got two teams and I guess we should explain it. I mean, most people ask me what the heck is the difference between an affiliation and a working agreement. And I usually tell them, well, there really isn't one. One is less formal uh, than the other. It's just really the way the contract is written. Um, so basically I treat this as they have two affiliates and that's great for Norfolk, which has been one of the dregs of the ECHL over the last couple of years as they move forward. Now, yeah, you tell me, I mean, what's going on at the AHL level? Um, I mean, they don't have an affiliate because of the Chicago situation, right? Yeah, just to paraphrase, basically, they don't have a sole AHL affiliate. It's my understanding that they have agreement. Like, so a lot of their players that are European are staying in Europe, even the ones that were in North America this past year. It's my understanding that they have agreements tentatively in place for some of their players, but that they are still looking for a home for some of their depth pieces. So it's sort of a messy situation there. And, you know, this is, Another interesting thing, because I mean, I don't know how many Carolina prospects will be in the E just because of how little depth they have in North America to begin with. I would take it maybe a goalie will end up there for sure, but right. I'm not sure. I don't know who this really serves is my kind of thinking. Like, I mean, how they don't have much depth to put there, frankly. Well, in my experience, you know, Fort Wayne has had had something similar to this not too long ago. Like, they basically were they had, two had teams, you're saying? Yes, they had an affiliation with Vegas and a working agreement with the Kings. And so as a working agreement is basically like you're our you're our team. If the we Kings, need you. the that's exactly that's a great way to put it. The Kings did not have an ECHL affiliate, okay. and they're like, but we would like a spot in case we need to send some guys. For sure. And they ended up sending a good deal because Fort Wayne has kind of a long history with the Kings. It's yeah. kind of a long story. Um, so I've seen them work out well, and I've even seen it in that case work out where you're getting more from the Kings than you were from Vegas. Um, so, I mean, look, for Norfolk, this is wonderful. I understand what you're saying, though, is like, why does Carolina even need it? Well, I think I, it's it's just, nice to have a spot in case, right? And I think you're on to something that's probably just a goalie, but yeah, go ahead. I think though for the for Norfolk, you you mentioned how um this is a good thing for them. The Manitoba Moose, so sorry, the Winnipeg Jazz organization, they do often sign a lot of depth for their AHL affiliate. Now we're not talking growlers level like the Leafs, we're not talking like some of the other clubs, but they do have a wide array of NCAA U Sports guys that they'll kind of stash. So I think consolidating that into one organization will be good. And I think that the quality of players, at least that they've had over the last couple of years, will certainly bring wins to the Admirals. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, look, they've got nowhere to go but up. And mm -hmm. I think you're right. Sometimes getting some new blood into the equation can really help a team. You know, sometimes relationships are don't work in one place, but they work someplace else. But when you bring two teams into the fray, the one problem that I have witnessed through the years is the goaltending. Mm -hmm. Because what happens if um, Winnipeg and Carolina both sends goalies to Norfolk? Yeah, that's And a then you get in, well, I'm not going to say disaster, but you have to plan it out. Everybody has to be in agreement. And one thing I have seen very clearly in these parts is what you agree upon in September 
doesn't necessarily hold true in January when the coach is sitting there and he's got three and three and he's trying to figure out which goalie to play on the, on the Sunday. Mm -hmm. And then that that pisses off one of the NHL teams. So that's the one issue. It's always the goalies and who's getting the playing time and who's playing on what night, but it's a nice problem to have for sure. Um, But also if you're inexperienced with it, Norfolk may be a little inexperienced with having two. um, you know, you got to plan ahead. You know, are you going to have a third goalie around? Are you going to have an e-bug? What happens if they both get called up to their respective teams on the same day? I mean, there are situations that could get a little bit dicey. But when you're a team that's been in the cellar like Norfolk and all of a sudden you wake up and you've got two teams and like you said, Winnipeg would may load you up with AHL talents. I mean, I think they they hit the jackpot there. And one thing you should we should mention, you know, they have familiarity with Carolina. Mm-hmm. They've worked together for years. So one and would think, made a point to, to complement that relationship too. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think that helps matters. I just hope that Norfolk fans aren't sitting there thinking, well, we're going to get a bunch of Carolina's AHL players. Yeah, because not we how don't have an A, not how it works, but you know, you might get a little more talent than you would have, you, you know, if there's it's a guy, we, we need him playing and yeah. we ain't send him to Europe and we can't find another landing spot in the AHL. You you could end up with some good players sure. that way. I mean, I, I've seen it before. So you just mentioned emergency backup goaltenders. Interesting reference there because, as you pointed out to me, the NFL is having emergency backup quarterbacks this year, which is quite familiar, is it not? Yeah, I mean, I, I just I laughed so hard about it. I, I forgot. Like, they made an announcement the NFL did about this. I don't know, maybe eight eight months ago, but I got this email from the NHL that was sort of a frequently asked questions about emergency backup quarterbacks, and I'm just like, come on, it's an e bug. Uh, you know, I think it's I think it's funny for hockey people to see that other sports are now sort of embracing this. I think it's sort of ridiculous that the NFL has like always had this system that like makes it difficult for you to have a quality backup and basically impossible for you to have a quality third quarterback when we know how important quarterbacks are at that level. Um, But I I just, I find the whole thing really funny and I'm waiting for the day where we see some supermarket bagger get dusted off and brought in, you know, like we have to figure out what is the correlation like in hockey? What's the most ridiculous e-bug we've had? We've had equipment managers, we've had, local college players we've had local junior players i mean i'd love it if there was like the hot dog vendor was like the designated e-bug guy and you had in the e right and it's like hang on you want must hold hang hang that cath will get you the relish i gotta go in the net and you just watch this guy bolting it down putting the pads on on the bench then right i mean look they're never gonna do this in the nfl but it's funny to just think about because if this were the hockey terminology you're absolutely Right. right it would be the colts have lost one quarterback, they've lost two. We're going to dust off the beer vendor from Section 208 yeah. who played at the NAIA school in Kentucky, and we're going to see what he's got because it's all we're going to – and we're going to do it on Monday But night that's football. what makes hockey so unique, right? Because it's like in the NFL before this, there was always there was always reference to which player, could be like a receiver or tight end cornerback, would be like the fourth quarterback, right? Whereas hockey, it's like, well – I mean, who here is going to go in the pipes, right? Like, like that right. is weird. So it's like we need to find anyone that can play that position, that can 
put their body in a butterfly. It gets pretty desperate right. at that point. Right, but it's very different when you think about it because the court, I know, I know, quarterbacks yeah, are reading defenses. No, I and, totally, I, I completely agree. But it's just so fun to, to think about that, that it, it's just something hilarious that they've gone to e-bucks. I love it. E-B-U-Qs. Yes. I like that. Sounds better. Uh, before we end off today's show, let's do a little mailbag. Justin sent out a note on Twitter to our growing listeners of questions whether it was ECHL related, minor league hockey, whatever, Justin picked a couple from the crop to highlight. Go ahead, Justin. So from Tiffany, she asked, how do players cope with the three games and three nights when the NHL does not have to do that? Uh, I know it's for financial reasons due to the ECHL being on the bottom of the totem pole. Uh, Great question. How do they deal with it? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, they're not happy about it. That's for sure. We should explain what she means. So if you're playing three games in three nights, you are essentially doing that because all of the money at this level is made on the weekends. They actually went so far as to enact rules uh, maybe 10 years ago to prevent teams from playing four games in four nights. Uh, you can still play four games in five nights. Uh, one of the things about this is, you know, as somebody that covered pro basketball for a long time, always hated when the basketball teams would complain about the rigors of their schedule because they might have to play like two games in two different cities in four nights when I'm covering hockey and seeing them go three and three in three different cities. Um, How do they cope with it? You got to stay in shape. That is why teams are always talking about conditioning. Uh, A lot of the onus is on the coaches for making sure that However, they plan their practice schedule, their morning skates. That they're. Can I point one thing out too, though, Justin? Yep. Most of these players do three and threes at previous levels before junior, college, and whatnot. So the NHL is the outlier in that sense. College three and threes in college, or not three and three, two and two. Yeah. They they've done them. I'm mean, usually the players I talk to. They're like, yeah, I've done it, but it's been a long time. You know, yeah, it was Fair. juniors, but but yes. Um, the the reason I give you a hard time about the college is the college players are usually like the ones that are like, Oh gosh, like in college, it's nothing like this. Like, yeah, spend all week practicing. You got a game or two and then you practice more. And then, you know, all of a sudden you're thrown into the ECHL and you're dealing with three and three, but you're right. It's not totally new to them. Um, But also, you know, you're getting hit at a, you're getting hit, you're traveling, you know, stuff that you probably haven't dealt with to this extreme. So a lot of the onus is on the staffs, the coaches, the trainers, and whatnot. You have to have some depth. Um, sleeper buses really alleviated this situation uh, a lot. I mean, I remember riding the bus with the team uh, 15, 20 years ago, and you know the, it was not a sleeper bus. So if you were having to haul from North Carolina to uh, Estero, Florida, after playing one game, you know you're sitting upright. You were feeling worse for wear in the morning than maybe, you, you know, catch some Z's. So um, I think a lot of it is mental and a lot of it is on the staffs. Uh, from Tom, who's in my area, he said. Playing off of when we were talking about the death of, of uh, fighting in hockey, mm-hmm. uh, if they're restricting hockey in the future, shouldn't that start at the NHL level fighting? Uh, right? Yes, I'm sorry. Yes. Fighting shouldn't that start at the NHL level? Uh, in his opinion, limiting fighting at the ECHL level serves no clear purpose unless it is to protect the NHL prospects. And he said, for that, he has his doubts. Um, so 
I, I think his question is basically why would you start doing this at the lower levels and not start it at the NHL level? Um, I think they're kind of doing both. Uh, mm. I could tell you, you, I think, I think you actually do start it at the minor league levels. Uh, if you look at baseball, you look at basketball, any radical rule changes, things like that, they started to the minors. They see how that works out. And if they like it, then you implement it at the NHL level. But I do think he's a little bit onto something. I'm not sure if NHL prospects are being protected a ton by getting rid of fighting in the ECHL. We had this discussion mm-hmm. before. Um, I, I just I don't know that I've seen a lot of guys get injured because of fights. If you want to worry about those guys, let's get rid of the hits from behind and things like that. Fair point. Uh, TJ had a comment related questions. He wants to know my thoughts on the moves made by new coach Jesse Kalicki. Uh, clearly, what he is getting at is this is very different from what we are used to seeing here. No veteran nucleus of players. Uh, I am being open minded on it. I feel like he knows what he's doing. He comes from the model organization with the Florida Everblades who have won back-to-back cups. Um, So I think we have to be a little bit open-minded, but it's different than what we're used to seeing. But there were teams operating very well last year with a lot of rookies. I know this isn't the best example, but I believe it was the Tulsa Oilers had a team with zero veterans and did very well for the first half of the season with that sort of nucleus. And then if you do well in the first half of the season, guys start coming back from Europe, you make some moves, who knows? Uh, He also asked our thoughts on the new affiliations and the affiliation carousel in general. I think that is a good question because there has been a carousel. There has Mm -hmm. been a lot of changes. And as we were just talking about, I think it is important that you have a good rapport with your team and that you have a working relationship that goes beyond just your one or two or three year contract. And so far teams are not really doing that with some exceptions. Toledo and the Red Wings, that's the exception, not the rule, them being together forever. We even saw Buffalo and Cincinnati break up this year. So why is that happening? I'm not entirely sure. I know at the ECHL level, there has been growing discontent about the players that they get from their affiliates and what it means to them come the playoffs. If you get a goalie called up in the middle of a series to then not play for the AHL team the next night, things like that can be frustrating. Mm -hmm. So what I would like to see is more solidifying of the affiliation so that we don't go through this carousel every year so that, you know, like baseball, those teams are going to be locked in for an extended period of time, but it's not going to happen unless the NHL teams have real skin in the game. If they own the ECHL teams, they have more money in it. They're going to be more invested in what their assignments mean to those teams. And so far that's not really going on a couple more. Uh, seeing as how a lot of teams in the AHL have similar names, appearances as their NHL teams, is there more freedom given to the ECHL teams when it comes to their look and logos, if you're understanding? So in his opinion, the NHL teams are directing the looks and the logos of the AHL teams more than we're seeing at the ECHL level. That's totally true because of what I just mentioned. They don't have the skin in the game, Mm -hmm. but there are some exceptions. You know, the Indy Fuel, that's a team that really embraces the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, They play Chelsea Dagger. They've got, uh, they you know, they bring in the anthem singer. 
They've got patches. There's a lot of Blackhawk type things that go on in indie fuel games. But then if you were to go to, I mean, I don't know, let's see, Fort Wayne. Fort Wayne is not, you know, doing all sorts of Edmonton Euler things. So you definitely do have more freedom. I think that is exceedingly important at this level that you have the freedom to do what you want. Because at this level, it is about putting butts in the seats. And the more control that you give up in terms of specialty jerseys, in terms of what you look like, in terms of what you are called, the less chances that you're going to be successful, in my opinion, financially. Now, there are some exceptions to that. I would say if you're geographically close to your NHL affiliate and you bring on the look and, and, and all of that stuff, um, you might be more successful. Now, one thing that he brought up is, are we ever going to see the Reno bronze Knights? That was sort of a meme that was going on. I don't know, What's a couple that? of years ago when, when Henderson became the silver oh, Knights, oh, I see. the idea was, well, Vegas has got to get Reno and call them the bronze Knights. It was a I great like idea. I think a lot of us were waiting for it to happen. I don't know. I know that there are some theories out there that maybe the new Lake Tahoe team would be a Vegas affiliate. Could they be the Tahoe Bronze Knights? I mean, that's not the craziest thing I've ever heard. Uh, <laughs> he also brought up one other thing because we were talking uh, on a recent show about the ECHL and the SPHL no longer being acronyms. He said ECHL is a stupid name. They should rebrand with a new name. The only reason NASCAR worked is because it sounds like something. And okay, it does sound, it does tell you it's car racing. It does make some sense to me. Last question I got for you uh, from Alrighty. Nathan Does the ECHL have a standard for ice conditions? I'm referring to temperature, size, type of refrigerant, refrigerant system. Does it get inspected regularly or at all? Good Do question. the AHL and NHL have standards for building and maintaining the ice? And who is your, your your bet to be the first arena this year to have a game rescheduled to a different day due to poor ice conditions? This is a fantastic question. I don't have all of the answers. Um, the ECHL, I would put it this way, and maybe Joe Ernst will call us and tell us we're way off on this, but... I would say it's this. They have guidelines more than set rules with a lot of these things. How do we know this? There are different rink sizes. There are different rink formats. In Fort Wayne and in Kalamazoo, the benches are on the opposite sides of the ice, which some people complain about. Now, you could not do that at the NHL level because that is standard. Um I have seen different types of refrigerant systems. Now, Wheeling, for instance, was operating for uh, multiple years with, uh, how do we call it, like a portable refrigerant system that was supposed to last one season and it was used for multiple seasons. Uh, it, towards the end, started having some problems. So I, I think the ECHL, if you build it, they will come. You know, If you have an arena that they think would be Fitting would be appropriate for ECHL level of play. They'll overlook some things. There are teams uh, that have had different pegging systems for the nets. Uh, Cincinnati that, you know, we've talked about that before. It was an issue there because they're using a different type of pegging system to, or mooring system than other arenas. So clearly there is not a, a total standard. They would love for there to be a total standard, but we don't have the money. We don't have the infrastructure 
I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to show up and say, hey, Kalamazoo, we don't like this. Like, who's going to pay for that? So they bring uh, out the thermostat. Yeah, exactly. So at the NHL, you know, look, you know, if you're building an arena, you're gunning for an NHL team, you're going to get on board, you're going to figure out everything that needs to be done for you to be considered. At this level, it doesn't necessarily work that way. So as much as they'd love to have those standards, we're not there yet, but they would love to get there down the road. Uh, I'm not necessarily sure I want to touch the the best bet to get a uh, game rescheduled, but let's just say this. Weather often plays a big part in it. So those southern forecasts, those southern eastern teams, make sure everything is set, especially if it gets really humid um, in the fall or in the spring. I'll say that. One last thing I do want to throw out at you, though. It's not a question, but I got this from one of our listeners, John Gage, and I've been thinking about it and I love it. He was talking about how ECHL teams should have maybe a shoulder patch or something on the players who are NHL or AHL contract. Only the players? Only those players so that you know that's an NHL prospect. I think he got this because we were talking about something similar. So in other words, if you're in Toledo, where I believe he is, and maybe you're not so familiar with the roster, you want to know who are the Red Wing prospects. Yeah. Could we not denote them in some way? It doesn't have to be a shoulder patch, but I think that's probably an interesting idea. Not all. T- so in Fort Wayne, maybe a better example, Edmonton Oilers. You know, we got an Edmonton Oiler guy or we have a Bakersfield Condor. Or how about, you know, we were talking about Norfolk. You want to delineate between your hurricane NHL contracted player and your Winnipeg Jets NHL contracted player. Maybe they have different shoulder logos or something. So you know who they belong to. I don't know. I sort of love the idea. We would have to, you know, kind of polish it a little bit, but I think he's on to something because I think typical ECHL fans, they look out on the ice. They don't know who's supposed to be the great player. They don't know who's the up and coming guy. They just know there are a bunch of hockey players. That'd make for some good chirps. I'm sure from a lot of the ECHL vets, I can already see it. Like, that patch doesn't mean you're tough. Like, I mean, like they could just give it to those guys. I um, mean, are we are we that far off from a lot more advertising going on? I mean, I at mean, least, I think at least right. we're putting something on there with a little purpose hey, for the fans. I think you're right. I like that from that angle for a fan's perspective. I think there's a lot of merit there. But or maybe uh, it's maybe it's just a little thing on the back of the helmet, you know, a helmet sticker. I, I don't know. Maybe. Something. I do like that. I do think I do fans, too. they don't know who these guys are, and it's we a give point. them a little more information. I like that. Um Anyways, we're going to cap it there. Thank you to everyone for sending in those mailback questions. Those are great. We'll be sure to do another one throughout the year once we have some current hockey to talk about. Um, But thank you for everyone for listening to this episode, and uh, we'll be sure to catch you next week. Go Lions.